Aren't you glad to know that your God has never and will never fail? That no matter what you come to him with, what prayer you pray, how late it is in the midnight hour when you call out to him, our God is faithful to do more than you could ever ask or think. He is, always has been, and always will be victorious. Amen. He won't. He won't. He won't fail. He won't. Do me a favor. Um, you may take your seat this morning before we keep singing for the rest of the day. Tell your neighbor, he won't fail. He won't fail. I don't know what they told you, but he can't fail. He is a champion. My name is CB. It's my distinct pleasure to pastor here at this church. I just love this church, and I love all of you. So glad that you made it here today. It's going to be 95 degrees today. But it's cool, like a stroll through the garden this morning in, in Beacon. A couple things I want to just echo after Shay's announcements, and then we're going to jump in, higher in our service. Uh, fellas, say yeah. yeah. Fellas, say yeah again. Yeah. All right. Gentlemen, today is the very last day to register for Ash, and I, I got to push you because if you haven't, do it. We're going Thursday, Friday, Saturday to YMCA Snow Mountain Lodge. We're going to be up there doing man things, you know fixing cars and grunting and stuff, and this is going to be a great time. So if you haven't done this, today is your day. I want to make sure we do still have a, a few spots, and I want to make sure that you do it. We're going to be meeting, just so you know, Thursday afternoon at Brave Church, and we're all taking a chartered bus up there together that makes it feel like we're on a, you know, like we're a professional hockey team on a road trip. It's going to be, I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. So fellas, make sure that you do that today. And then also just let me remind you, baptism is the 31st. And here's, here's what I want to push you. I want to push you that if this year God's done the new thing in you, if he's given you a fresh start, if you've come to a new understanding of who God is this last year, unlike you ever have before, if you're part of Beacon and you said this last year, you know what, I don't think I was saved before. I think I might actually be saved now. And you may have said, but I was baptized once before, so you can't double dip. I got good news for you. You can double dip. I know many Christians, every chance there's a baptism, they're like, here I go, cannonball, right? I mean... Baptism is just a symbol. It's an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. And if God done, has done the work this year inside your heart, would you register for baptism? We want to celebrate that with you. We want to seal that with you. We want to tell the world about you. Amen? Awesome. I, I want to take us in, um, in our offering real quick before we go any higher. Um, it is a great privilege as a church to be a church that gives. And today, I want to challenge you, whether you're a tither or today you're giving a special gift, uh, I want to challenge you to give sacrificially in this season. We, as a church, have weathered many, many storms. And in this season right now, we, we continue to fight against all opposition to move as a church in a city that does not like churches. And God has been always faithful. But I want to push you in this season. We've got the right team in place. And I told our team this morning at our pre-service rally, we have the right people. We have the right staff members. We have the right pastors. We have the right leaders. We are in a really good season right now. And things are really working well. 
but they don't work well if we can't sustain it. Amen? And I want to have church every Sunday. Amen? And so I want to push you. If you call Beacon home, be a giver. God calls us to be obedient in our giving. It's, it's not an invitation. God says, give. Now, he loves a cheerful giver. Amen? But he'll also take your check if you're cranky. Amen? <laughs> I want to tell you that giving is part and parcel to what we do as believers and everything that you give helps to pay for our rent helps to do our outreach the men's retreat women's retreat buy the supplies for baptism and pay salaries for our staff it is absolute vital work in our city and I want to challenge you if you've never given before to give for the first time if you're a tither continue to give and consider what the Lord might want to do through you extra in this season you see three ways you can give online in the app. Text any amount to the number 84321 or you can go online. Also, if you have cash or check on your way out, our teams will pick it up for you at the doors. Can you say amen? I want to pray over our gift today and then we're going to move into our time of communion together. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, you're good and you're faithful. And God, for many of us, giving is a challenge because we're worried about whether or not we can make it last. So God, remind us that you are everlasting to everlasting and that when we sacrifice, it never leaves our life. It just goes into the kingdom to pave the way for us and many more believers to come to know you. God bless our gift today in Jesus' name, amen. Every four to six weeks at our church, we like to observe the sacrament of communion. What's cool about our church is we're full of a lot of people who have never been to church or don't understand what this tradition is. And so um, I, I like to take a moment to explain it. Um, it, is, it is an honor for us to partake in the Lord's Supper, something that Jesus shared with his disciples and that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to open it up for you because I like the way that the Apostle Paul teaches us. Does everyone have the communion elements? If you don't, would you raise your hand? Our team's going to bring you some communion. There's a couple down here in the front as well. Keep your hand raised until everyone is able to get the, the elements in front of them. If you're like me and you have poor manual dexterity, this is the single most challenging thing that you'll do all week. But it's an easy way for us to, to remember the Lord's sacrifice. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples for a final meal. And during that meal, he began to lay out his plan. He gave them bread, and he gave them wine. And he told them to eat this bread as a symbol of his body that would be broken for them. To drink the wine as a symbol for his blood that would be shed for them. And he asked us to do it from now until his return to be reminded of his sacrifice for us. The Apostle Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And in verse 28, he commands us to take a careful look at self before we participate. He says, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And so today, before we participate, I want to give us all a moment to ask the Lord to search our hearts. If there be anything in us that is unlike him, any iniquity, any unresolved sin, that we would give it to him. 
Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, before we participate in remembrance of Jesus, your son, I ask that you'd search our hearts. God, would you bring to light anything that we've covered up, anything that is unlike you, anything that would remove us from your presence, for sin is not welcome in presence. Father, today we lay that down at your altar. We ask that you'd remove it from us, that you'd purge us like hyssop, make us white as snow, that we might be in right standing with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's our custom to break the bread to be reminded that his body was broken for us. Take, eat the body of Christ. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's our custom to lift the cup up above our head. Not so high that your arm gets tired, but just high enough to be reminded that our whole life is under the blood of Christ. Take, drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We have trash cans on the side of your aisles. You may pass down your cups. What a good thing it is for us to remember Jesus. If you've never done that before, <laughs> I know it feels weird sometimes. I had somebody once say like, whoa, wait, what? We drink blood? <laughs> I was like, no. Well, y no, I don't know how to. It's weird when you say it like that. It's good to be reminded of God's sa sacrifice for us. Amen? Amen. Do you have your Bibles? Do me a favor. Open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. We're going to continue our series today in Jonah. This is a six-week series entitled Course Correction, a whole conversation about how God changes the direction of those whom he calls and whom he loves. And today is our fourth week, our fourth message in a series of six. And we're going to be reading in Jonah chapter 3. I'm reading just verses 1 through 5. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. If you have your Bible and it's in paper, you're going to heaven. For the rest of us, it's right here. This is how we get there. We start here, you download the app, you buy a paper Bible, and then you're super saved. It reads like this, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth from one side to the other. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The title of our message today is The God of Second Chances. The God of Second Chances. How many of you all are glad that we have the God of Second Chances? Amen? Wouldn't it be bad if our God was like, you get one shot at this. We have nobody in heaven. Am I right? I'm just glad we have a God of Second Chances. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we give you great honor and praise and glory. And today, Father, we just surrender to this word. Show us your way. Change our hearts. Amen. This message is today is, is for anybody who needs another shot, a second chance, or <laughs> we're being honest, like a 30th chance. Amen. This is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is for us humans. Our God knows us so well that the entire biblical narrative is chock full of second and third and fourth chances, which is good for every honest human who can look at this narrative and go, yeah, that is my God. That's my God. He gives me an opportunity to get back up even when I continue to fall. And I don't know about all of your failures. I only know mine, and I'm keenly acquainted with them. Uh, I always tease my wife um, by talking down about myself in my sermons or with people. And, and because she's a doting and loving wife, she's like, babe, you can't, don't say mean things about yourself, right? Because that's what a good wife does. She wants to build you up. But I, I'm just, I'm one of these people that like, if you, you know how you, when you start off and you, you think you've got it all together and then you make a few mistakes, but you're pretty sure you got it all together. And then you fake a, make a few more, <laughs> you fake a few more, <laughs> and then you know like what you're really made of. Yeah. I, I love those kinds of people. I love the people who are completely and utterly aware of where they're weak and where he's strong. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, that's where God calls us all to be. I meet people all the time. They have stickers on their cars or tattoos on their arms, and it says they're self-made or they work hard. Or I go to the gym, and guys wear shirts that say alpha male. <laughs> but, but <laughs> what? I meet people all the time who are so confident in self. Well, and they should be because the world teaches us to be that way. Amen? I mean, that is the narrative of the world, which is be you, stand tall, make your claim, take no mess from nobody, don't back down. We just celebrated a whole month based on the one thing that makes God oppose people. The world loves a proud human. But God loves the humble. And I think what he's done throughout this narrative, and if you're being honest about your own life, I think what he's probably done in your life, if you could look back, is give you multiple opportunities to be humble, to really understand who you are, or better said, who you aren't, and who he is. And this message for us is going to be a conversation all about that, all about being humbled by God so that we can do things right his way this time. Amen? And I, I, I want to push you today, if you think you have it all together, there's still something in your life right now that the Lord wants to refine and give you another chance to do better. Every one of us has got an area of our life that needs work. 
And so today we're going to look at this story of Jonah and how that happens. If you, if you haven't been with us for the last four weeks, you'll have to understand that Jonah was a prophet in Jerusalem. He spoke about provision and, and good things that would happen for Israel. They came to pass. He was kind of a favorite prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the seat of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were enemies of Israel, and, and they weren't just like, you know, bad neighbors. They were the worst of the worst. The Assyrian Empire was known for killing children and babies simply because it was convenient. They would kill at mass during war and leave the the heads of the skulls of the victims of the war outside their city gates. Even when they would take prisoners, they would just impale them on spikes and leave them outside to burn in the hot sun. If that's not enough for you, you should also know that they were known, their army was known for skinning people alive. And so the Lord calls out to Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. If you're like me, you're like, I'm sorry, my ears are off. I'm not hearing you super good. God, sounded like you said, go to Village Inn. Was that, is that what you had? (laughs) Not Nineveh. And and it's true to form, Jonah demonstrates what most of us would do when God asks us to do a hard thing. He's disobedient. Now, we'll find out in the coming weeks that Jonah's also incredibly patriotic. And so he doesn't just not go to Nineveh because he's scared. He also doesn't go to Nineveh because he hates them and he doesn't want God to love them. He flees from the call of the Lord. The Bible told us in week two that he left the presence of God. He went to Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv. He got on a boat. He sailed. God sent a storm. He finally came clean to his sailor friends. He said, the reason we're in trouble is me. Throw me overboard. They threw him overboard. He drowned. A fish swallowed him. He prayed, and a fish released him. And we pick up right here at this moment where gut-soaked Jonah is standing on a beach. Can you see that in your head? Just slimy. Whenever I hear this story, I always wonder if there was somebody having a family holiday on the beach and saw that. It was like, who wants Capri Suns? Oh, gather everything. We're out of here, right? Can you imagine what it looked like for a fish to just spit out Jonah? And he is like, that was weird. Uh, Bible says it's right there that God meets him immediately and again. And I, I really like that part. This isn't even in our notes, Tyler. We're not even to the first point. But I just, I just love this idea that immediately after Jonah cries out and says, Yeshua, Jehovah, Jesus is Lord, he's rescued and spit out on the beach, and God shows right up in the middle of his disobedience when he calls out for forgiveness, and God says, here I am. I know you've been running from me, but here I am again, and I came to meet with you. And I hope that speaks to some of you today to know that if you would just call on the name of the Lord, even in the midst of your darkest, deepest, most worst situation, the worst part of who you are, the thing that you think is unredeemable, all you need to do is call on the name of the Lord, and he answers, he meets with you immediately. There's no delay. He doesn't hold a grudge. He's not waiting for you to get better so that you can meet him. He wants to meet you so you can get better. He's right there, one word away. Jesus, the Bible says God shows up right there and he meets him in that moment. And, 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 and Jonah's made a huge mistake. You ever heard the phrase, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again? You ever heard that? They used to tell that to me in T-ball when I would strike out. They'd be like, I keep trying. 
But the beautiful thing about being a believer is that, that that's actually not the slogan. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the slogan is, if at first you don't succeed, God will try again. Oh, I wish you could get that in your belly because this is part and parcel to the way in which God works through a grace-filled relationship with you. He says, if you failed, good. I'm going to start it all over again. If you messed up, don't worry. I've got better plans for that. If you quit, if you run, if you're disaster, if you're lost, guess what? I found a way. We're starting fresh right now. He meets Jonah and he says to him, arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against us call out against it it's the same thing that he says in chapter one arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it he repeats himself in detail I need you to understand that God believes in repetition he believes in repeating himself in doing it over again. He believes in rinse, wash, rinse, repeat, rinse, whatever it's gonna take for you and me. God has a history of repetition, of do-over in the life of believers. Did you know that? Isn't that good for some of us? I feel like I'm yelling loud and some of y'all just not with me yet this morning. It's all right, shake the wiggles off. Look, here's the deal. God loves you so much. He's willing to keep working with you till you get it. Our God is not a God who sits high and doesn't look low. Our God is a guy who sits high and walks with the lowly. He has a history of repeating himself until the stubborn humans who love him figure it out. Don't, don't believe me? Consider the promise that he makes to the patriarch when he first speaks to Abraham and he promises a people and a place. And Abraham's like, that's crazy but he keeps walking. And then when Abraham brings forth Isaac, God repeats the same promise of a people and a place. And Isaac says, I heard my dad say that. I still have a little bit of trouble believing it because we're sojourners in a faraway land and we kind of don't feel like we belong, but I'm going to keep walking. And then comes Jacob and the same problem promise comes out he says I'm going to give you a people and a place and Jacob it's Jacob the rebellious one who finally gets it in his belly he's the one that goes from Jacob to Israel to finally walk into the people and the place and God repeats himself through the patriarchs such that when Joseph is in the throne room of Egypt he says we are standing firm because God promised that there's a people and a place you need to understand that God will say the same things over again until you get it. The good and the hard. He will say good things to you like you will make it. Even when you're like, well, I mean, that's nice, but I'm not going to make it. No, 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 no. You will make it. When you're sick and he says, you will be healed, it's my will that you would be healed. And you would say, but if you wanted me healed, you would have healed me years ago. Why am I not healed now? And he says, no, 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 just listen. You will be healed. When you feel broken and lost and desperate and he says, you will be whole. And you feel like you're, there's no way to put all of the pieces of your life back together. He says, no, just listen. You will be whole. 
But he also repeats some of the things you don't want to hear. Welcome to Beacon. You ready? There's a few things he's been repeating to you over and over, and he is not going to change the record until you listen. Right now, you're in this room, and you've been praying that God would give you a breakthrough in any number of parts of your life, and the Lord has said no. And the reason is because he's having another conversation over here. Too many of us have walked for too long ignoring what God says. I meet people all the time, they're like, Pastor, I just don't hear him anymore. You ever been there? You ever feel like he's just silent? Good news is that he's never silent, amen? He's always talking. It's just that some of us get really good at tuning out certain parts of the conversation. Ladies, you know how this works. Your, your, your man is sitting in front of the football game. <laughs> your man's sitting in front of the football game, and he's watching the game, right? And you're talking to him at full volume, and, and he, he hasn't heard a single word you've said, right? I, I mean, my poor wife has been through the ringer. She'll sit next to me. It's gotten so bad for us, she actually thinks I might be deaf in one and or both ears, and it's because so many of us are so narrow-focused on what we allow to come into our head. Men are like this. We, we just really only can deal with one stream of information at a time, right? Women are a little more, less than linear, like they get a little more information. But the truth of the matter is, is that all believers at some point have gotten used to hearing God speak a word that's hard and convicting and unpleasant and learned how to turn that off. And then we go back to the throne of grace boldly because it says we can. And we're like, God, get me out of this. And God's like, I'm just, uh, as soon as you come back to this conversation, we can have that. In fact, I want to have that. In fact, that's always been my will and it's still in my plan. But we've got to start right here. That's why God repeats himself over and over and over and over again. Some areas of repetition you'll find in the Bible not just the promises to the patriarchs, but Jesus' teaching about service, about going low, about being humble, about being used, about being less than, about loving others. It's so revolutionary when Jesus comes and preaches it, he has to say it over and over and over again. We did in our pre-service rally today a few of the things that people say about God. You'll find them throughout the text. One that I really love is how it describes God as patient. Peter says Jesus was patient. Moses said God was graceful and merciful. Nehemiah said he was slow to anger. David said his, his presence was abounding in steadfast love. There's another repetition that maybe you don't know about in the Bible, but maybe you should know it today. It's the most repeated phrase or concept from the start to finish. It's fear not. The Lord, in his infinite wisdom, knows how vital this is to us as believers. He doesn't tell you to love others. He doesn't tell you to serve others. He doesn't tell you to give any more than he tells you, don't be afraid. My God, I don't know who needs to hear that today. Stop worrying. I got this. I'm in control. 
I want you to know that our God is always saying the same thing over and over again to get your attention, to get you to one thing. And that one thing is found right here in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. It says, after the Lord meets him on the beach, and he says the exact same thing to him. Here it is, ready for the shift? It says, <laughs> so, so Jonah got up and went to Nineveh. So Jonah just did what God said. All of the repetition that God speaks into the life of the people that he loves, all of the times he says the same thing over and over again is to invite us to a place of obedience. That's it. And I know you're here, you're like, ooh, I hate that word. It's not a four-letter word. Oh, if you could recognize the beauty of obedience. There is absolute beauty in obeying the words of the Lord. I want you to see what happens here. He, he calls out to Jonah. He says, arise, go to the city, call out against it. So verse three, Jonah arose, he went to the city and he called out against the city. What I love about this is that obedience for Jonah and ready for you is that obedience will do three things for you. Number one, obedience will give you clarity. When you obey the word of the Lord, you come to better understand him and you. Many of us are lost in a sea of emotions, so confused about where we are and how we got here and why did life work out like this? And the truth of the matter is, is if we're being really honest, we haven't been listening to his repetition. We haven't been saying yes to the Lord. But the moment that you say yes, you get a greater understanding of who he is. Yes. Obedience brings clarity. But then check this out. He says, arise. So Jonah stands up. He's like, oh, I can see things a little bit better from this vantage point. He says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah just begins to walk to Nineveh because obedience also gives you a sense of direction. Yeah. Mm. See, lots of us are walking through this life and we're just lost. I mean, every week is just another week and it's passed by at rapid pace. Mostly for so many of us, life is actually happening to us, not through us. Mm. You see, my God came that you might have life and have it more abundant. Not that you might struggle through life and get beat up every day in it. Obedience brings you to a place where you not only understand how this thing works with him in the lead and you in the follow, but also gives you a path to walk on so that when you feel like life's beating you up, you can go, this is hard. And he says, take this step then. And here's the third part. He, uh, he goes to the city. <laughs> Man. He goes to a city that the Bible declares is a great city to God. It says it's three days in breath. Scholars believe that the city of Nineveh, from city proper wall to city proper wall, was approximately 7.1 miles wide. But the suburbs that surrounded it were 60 miles wide. The Bible declares this city as a great city to God, which is a big deal. And it says that he gets, he gets clarity and he gets a direction. And God says, and then when you get there, say what I say. Because obedience also gives you a purpose. You see, one of the things that the Lord is calling you to do is, is, is to do what he does, to say what he says, to trust him at his word, 
so that he can use you to great impact for him. Challenge is, is that most of us, we want the great impact. <laughs> we just don't want the for him. And so we go to big cities and big places to try to make a name for ourselves. I'm talking metaphorical. But some of y'all moved because you were sick of this town and you went to a new town. You try to make a new name for yourself. I want you to understand that every city that you move to can have the same curse of disobedience and you can still find fruit no matter where you are. The difference is not where you are, but whose you are. Obedience is the door that opens you up to get clarity on him, to get direction on what you're supposed to do next and a purpose that can be fulfilled no matter where you are. So you can meet in church in a basement and still do God's work. People are like, y'all going to move out of there? And I'm like, when the Lord tells us to. Really? Yeah, because we're just trying to stay obedient. He put us here. And we got a lot of things we're trusting God for, a big building we want to buy and another building we want to renovate. And we're just waiting for God to move on those things. But until he moves, we won't move. Amen? I want to I challenge you with something real quick because I think um, many of us lose our way a little bit on this whole obedience thing. Our, our God is good and he's gentle. That's true when Peter says that he's patient. But, but our God is, is also equally firm. Amen? Have you ever felt like the Lord has dealt with you swiftly, strongly? Huh? Have you ever prayed for humility and he's just answered humility prayers? Just like, there you go. <laughs> No. Uh, our, our God does two things when he works with believers. The first one is that he makes invitations. And then the other one is that he makes commandments. And the reason I'm going to separate these two for you is because y you need to understand the order. You see, God invites us to receive. Did you know that? Freely he gives and he invites each one of us to partake in the anointing and in the blessing and in the favor that he provides to his children. Amen? Who doesn't want that? But he also makes commandments to obey. This one is like, hey man, come taste and see that the Lord is good. And this one says, get up and go to Nineveh. This one says, oh, you'll get a place in heaven, everlasting life. He would just say yes. Come on, come home, no matter who you are. This is it. Welcome to the family. And this one says, stop drinking now. Stop cheating on your wife now. Stop fighting with everyone you meet now. You see, the difference between the invitation and the commandment is that this one you can take or leave. You can be a Christian who does not receive favor. You could be a cranky Christian if you want to. No problem. But you cannot be a Christian who does not obey. This is non-negotiable. He says obey and you must or you're not his. Which means you get no invitation. Is this hard? You good? So many people want the invitation. In fact, most people miss them up. They get them confused. My God said I would be prosperous. Well, he invited you to that. He suggested I let go of lust. Oh, no. <laughs> he demands it. 
Well, I can't do it. Good news. It is he who works and wills through you to do what he's called you to do. And when he calls you to do a hard thing, he called you to trust in him so that you might say, I'm weak and I need you. And he meets you on your beach just like Jonah. And he says, let's start again. Amen. Don't get them twisted. Amen. This is for a certain portion of my church. Don't get it twisted. The two are not the same. You are commanded to obey and invited to receive. And one comes first. Now here's the beauty. Is that when you are the person who says yes to the commandment to obey, in as weak a state as you might be, when even you try and try and fail, God still gives you more opportunities to keep going after him. Amen? And the reason he does all of it is so that you might receive the beauty of obedience, which is alignment, which is purpose, and may also simply be access to invitation. In short, God gives us the opportunity to be obedient so that we might be bold as Christians. I I want you to think about a time in your life as a believer when you've just felt real timid about this faith thing. Maybe that's today. Maybe today is the day you're here and you're just like, I mean, I know I've, I met a, I met a, uh, I met a guy when I was doing prison ministry. Do you remember when we saw him at McDonald's on 16th street? Uh, I met this guy. He lived in this halfway house and he'd been in and out of prison for 25 years. And I would go into these halfway houses and preach. And everybody in the halfway houses knows the Bible way better than any preacher. So you can't mess up. And I would preach, and as I would read scripture, he would recite the scripture from memory. And as I would make points, he would interject and correct me. He knew the word. And then he would get out of the halfway house, and he'd immediately relapse and get arrested and go back to the halfway house. And the cycle continued. And I finally saw him at the last place I saw him it was uh, it was at the Dahlia Street shelter it's a halfway house off of I-70 in Dahlia and I said I, I don't I don't I don't get it man you know him don't you trust him and he said he said Pastor CB I, I, I trust him I don't trust me And I remember thinking like, man, I mean, that's us. So many of us, you know he's good, right? You just, you just can't figure out why he wants you. And that is an assignment, a unique assignment of the enemy on you to convince you that you're not worthy, to tell you that he loves us And I want to tell you today that that assignment can be broken from your life today, immediately. And we're going to give it up to the Lord at the end of this day. The truth of the matter is, is that he always wanted you. When he hung on that cross, it was you and your sin and your failure. He thought of you the whole way through. And the only reason that the enemy tries to argue against that point is to make you, even in name, a Christian, but timid in action as a Christian. And my God didn't make any weak, scared, 
timid Christians. He met weak sinners to turn them into bold saints. That is the whole plan. Don't believe me? Check this out. The Bible says that this bold believer who was totally rebellious, the entire course of this conversation is spit out on a beach, and God says, not changing my mind, not going to say anything different. Get up and go to Nineveh. And he gets on the road and he walks to Nineveh. And can you imagine that he sees this metropolitan area that's 60 miles across? He probably sees it from quite a ways off. And as he gets into the city, he walks one mile into the city and he stops surrounded by the enemy and he doesn't do what I would do <laughs> We're like, hey everybody I don't mean any problems <laughs> Jonah Israel I know we've had our issues um, I just wanted you to know God loves you guys and he's super cool and he's really nice and you, uh, he's not super happy, but he wants to make a way for you to find a way home. And I'm just, he's good. And I'm good. I'm good. I'm not going to mean any harm. Nah. Jonah walks into the enemy's camp. He walks into the single most dangerous place that he could ever walk in. And he walks in with his chest out. And he walks past the gates covered in skulls. Past the posts of people hanging and dying past the filleted skin of prophets gone by and he stands in that city and he says in 40 days my God will destroy this place and then he says no more what do you read your Bible like a comic book because I read my Bible like a comic book I'm like what that guy is awesome he is gonna die what what made that happen in Jonah? I mean, what 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 happened in Jonah's heart that made it so that the same man who heard God say go said I don't want to be near you anymore when you talk to me. I don't like when you ask me to do hard things. I'm leave me alone. That's Jonah in chapter 1. But something shifts so that Jonah in chapter 3 walks in and faces sheer death and says, repent now. Could it be that Jonah, when sinking to his death in the ocean, could it be that in the belly of the fish, when he was recounting his last and most desperate prayer, could it be that when the Lord spit him out on the ocean had finally come to the end of himself had finally realized like not only is the God of second or third chances but I'm just never going to get away from him he loves me too much and I'm not fighting God anymore I wonder if that shift has ever happened to you you know, whenever you go to a church, they'll tell you um, th that you should be a good neighbor. You ever been told by a pastor or a leader, like, are you, who are you bringing to church from your neighborhood? <laughs> and you're like, are you serious? I don't even talk to my neighbors. The cat lady on the right and that guy who's never left his house, I'm not even new. I don't even want them to join our church. <laughs> you won't wrestle with them. 
But for some reason, we just love to wrestle with him. We like feel like we stand a chance to just force our will back on God. Get obedient. Nah, I don't feel like it today. Has that worked out for you yet? It never works. He won't fail me yet. Something happens in Jonah's heart. And he realizes, <laughs> if God wouldn't let me drown, he sure enough ain't going to let me get killed in the middle of Nineveh. And so he speaks this bold proclamation to them. Now, what's interesting here is that there is plenty of speculation about how this went down. But remember, we believe that the Bible is inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative. We believe that it's in, in its proper translation. It's perfect. It's absolutely true. And it holds all the answers. Amen? So when examining a story like this, we will sometimes seek the advice or counsel of other theologians who maybe have an opinion, but never in so much as it overrides what we read here. Amen? What, whatever this says is what it says. And so the Bible says that he walks in, this great prophet, and I don't know if you know much about preachers, but we kind of don't know how to stop talking. And he doesn't say much. His sermon's so short. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And I just imagine in my head, he closes his book and he waits. And the Bible says, though God has immediately given them a grace period of 40 days, one by one, they all start getting saved. What must that word have been like? What was it that God did through that short sentence to prick the heart of every person who was an enemy of God to begin to change the story? Could it be true that some theologians suggest that he walked into town bleached from the inside of the whale and it scared the people of Nineveh? Maybe. Could it be true that when he was spit out on the beach, covered in slime, the story of the Israeli prophet who was in a whale had traveled before him to the city, and so when he arrived, they were already there? True, it could be, but does it matter to me? No, absolutely not. Do you know why? Because all I really need to know is what the Bible tells me, which is that he walked in and said, I got no way to beat you except the word of the Lord, and he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And here's what you and I need to know today. You don't need anything else to move forward in this journey of your life, save for a word from God. Woo. You might think that it's going to take God and a whole lot of resources, but it's just God. It's just a word. So when I'm talking about your crazy cat lady neighbor, just knock on the door and say, we would love to see you at church <laughs> we don't have a cat ministry but you <laughs> you can come just the word oh taste and see that the Lord is good come to church with me let me tell you about my God it doesn't take everything it just takes one thing and that's you being obedient amen I want to close this message with asking you three questions today. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down and consult them over the course of the week. If you have your Bible and your notes app, I want to encourage you to write it down. I want you to revisit this over the course of this week to see if you're getting where he's called you to be. The first question is this. Number one, you ready? What is he repeating to me? What does he keep saying? And wait, 
Give yourself some time this afternoon or tomorrow to pray, God, what am I not hearing that you keep saying? What is he repeating? Number two, ready? Am I obeying? And I need you to ask yourself that big question about, ready, everything. Everything. Even the small things, Pastor? Absolutely in the small things. To God, there are no small sins. Am I obeying? Am I saying yes? And then number three, ready? Number three, final question is this. Am I bold in my faith? Do the people around me know I'm his? That's your neighbors, that's your friends, and that's your coworkers. Am I bold? When I arrive, do they go, it's good to see you. How was your church today? Do they know? Okay, ready? I'm going to close this out with this. If you can't answer yes to number three, you have to go back to number two. If you're not bold, ask yourself, am I obeying? And if you're not obeying, go back to number one. What are you saying? This is a practical work today. This week, I want you to work on this. I want you to come back next week, even if you got a good report and said, Pastor, I, I, he turns out <laughs> he does not like that I drink beer. And I'm like, how many beers? Just one, but he doesn't want it. Good. Let's get rid of that one. Whatever it takes. Amen?